No, but the, G- the, the Chosen is the the Jesus show, man. It's it's. I've never even heard of this. Uh, it's really interesting. It's really really interesting. It's on the first two seasons are on Amazon Prime right now. Wait a second. I I actually have heard of this now that you say that. Yeah, there was I'm a sure gal at your in our women's that, Bible study that yes. wanted us to like watch it. And, and, and you, were like, you were like you were like hell no. You were like hell I, no, right? I, I wouldn't say that that's what I said to her, but you know, <laughs> I But I'm telling you, like I had people telling me all over the place, you gotta watch this show, it's really good. And and some people like I trusted was like, this is actually really good. And then I finally okay. watched it and Car and I got addicted to it. It's super good. It is actually super, super good. Like for real, it actually is good. For real, for real, it's super good. I mean, there's okay. a couple corny things here and there, but for the most part, it's really excellent, man. And that's okay. interesting in itself, right? Because there's something about the way like Christian culture has functioned that you just think this is going to be utter shit. And it's really quite moving. And and it is like this evangelical, like uh I don't know. I mean, he seems like he's a kind of bro, you know. Um, I don't. I haven't done any research on who he is, but uh, wait, Jesus seems like a bro, or the creator <laughs> no, of the no, show? No. Seems the creator, like the, the creator of the okay. show seems okay. like a bro. But it's like really well done, man. It it really is. It it almost feels like a a miracle on how well done it's it it is. So anyhow, that was well, my only question. Thought, we could talk about no, but actually this this brings me to another question that I've always okay. kind of thought is interesting that you probably have some light you could shed on. For most of, I shouldn't say most of human history, but for a very big chunk of Western civilization, going back two thousand years. Many of the greatest works of art were religiously based, or they had Christianity as a big part of the theme. So you think about the Renaissance and all that kind of stuff. Something changed to where Christian art ceased being art and sort of became schlocky or cheesy, or like there's there's no sense of modern art having anything sacred to do with it and usually when something gets passed off as art but has that element of sacredness to it we all kind of roll our eyes at it and say that's you know the chosen can't be good because it's got jesus in it why why is that what happened in the course of western civilization that divorced christianity from art that's that's interesting because the way you put that in the way i was hearing you and then the way that you said that it isn't that art itself can't be still profound like we still have a lot of modern art that we think is you know really significant and profound and not cheesy but if it has a religious or uh kind of within the christian tradition um i don't know that that, like that's its aim uh then all of a sudden it, it seems to become cheesy i'm not an expert on this man um but for you know, like this is the ugly plug, like for the innovation book, I did look at a little bit of this and it's really clear that up until, you know, like without being kind of conclusive on everything, but up until the Renaissance, really it was that art wasn't even about the artist for the most part. Like art was about reflecting 
ultimately the beauty of God. And by art, I really mean, I suppose, poetry. I mean, I think Dante feels that way. But for sure, like, the visual arts function that way. And again, I am not a complete expert in how, in, like, the history of art. But it is really clear, like, within, with even within the Renaissance, that there is, a, you know, a sense that this is for glorification of God. And so, in many ways, we know all these renaissance artists now not because they were known in their own time you know like i think if you're anything like me like before really digging into this stuff like i didn't really honestly like before the two seasons is it three two or three seasons of the show the medicis i didn't really know anything about the the florentine family the medicis and then i've you know gotten pretty into them but everyone knows i guess you you know i i knew a little bit from just like you know freshman sophomore year history class that the medicis were like the funders of the renaissance but they i mean they they so much funded the renaissance but really the whole point of artistic expression was to give glory to god for them but also to give glory to the patron so it really wasn't about the artist at all you know like like Raphael and Michelangelo and uh you know uh, Leonardo da Vinci like they were not even they were not even really I mean it was a kind of about them but that's really more of a modern take looking back like we we glorify them and turn them into the names of our ninja turtles because we love them so much and we love the stories of how eccentric and weird they were and you know how they would blow up because they were you know artists and, and in many ways you have to read them through like the german romantics and they they be, the renaissance artists even become who they are after like beethoven like the Ger- german society loves beethoven because beethoven is like this tortured genius you know who is so into his artistic expression that he can't even like watch himself you know what I mean and there's there's something really romantic about that and so we kind of read back these renaissance thinkers like through that romantic the artist finds their unique way of being themselves their artist is like this torture genius uh but during the renaissance itself it really it really was more about the the medici family um it was really more about lorenzo the magnificent than it was ever about Raphael or michelangelo in many ways and the the patrons also at their best i mean they really were kind of about them especially the medici were like you know this is about us but they really thought the reason they're funding all this is because it's for the larger people or it's for the church it's it's to bring beauty with within within reach so the artist didn't even own their own creations really the patron the patron did so the reason uh, i don't think we've talked about this on the podcast but the reason that if you if you go to go to paris and you go to the louvre the reason the french have the mona lisa is because the french king convinced Leonardo da Vinci to come to France and paint and become part of his court and paint. And then when poor Leonardo was over there, he died. And all of his paintings, at least that he had in his possession, became for they they became the property of France and particularly the property of the king because the idea was he was painting for the king anyhow. There was no sense that this was like his unique work that belonged to him, so it should be sent back to like his family outside of Florence or something. It was it was it was for the king. It was for the king's name that he was painting this, so the king kept this. And this is why if you go to the Louvre today, you'll find just hundreds and hundreds of people standing in front of the Mona Lisa taking selfies because it's the property of France because Leonardo, as he died, was 
um, a patron of, of the king. And that just gives you a very different kind of expression where now we tend to think like the it's out of the individual's self's genius that they create this. And it is it really is uh, some deeper reflection on their unique way of seeing themselves, of seeing the world, of of reworking the the art form or something like that. So the referent, I think, turns from something divine and something outside the artist to something inside the artist. And I think that just kind of takes the path that we've been talking a lot about in this podcast, where the self becomes so very significant. Now, why why religion or an, an art a religious object becomes just pure cheese i'm not sure about that like that's really something to think about i would you know i think it has a tendency to to make the to the assumption i think that um, is, you know, especially the avant-garde moves of the West, you know, whether it's poetry in Weimar or paintings in Paris, and um, that there is a certain sense where this becomes really a rejection of, um, like, the artistic intrigue and even the artistic engine is is rejection of 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 the standard, and particularly of the bourgeois and Christianity and the bourgeois, particularly in the 19th century into the early 20th century, were, were really linked, at least in, in Europe. And so if you wanted to do something that was kind of cutting edge, something that, that rattled people's cages, um, the last thing you would do would, you know, uh, with the same kind of devotion, you, you wouldn't paint the Madonna. Though there are all sorts of experiences, you know, all the way up to Madonna's uh, video, I can't remember for what song, where she, you know, like, uses all these, uh, you know, the, the, this this Christian symbolism and then turns it in a pretty significant way to, to rile people up. So there's still the possibility of doing that, but that has to be done without a purely devoted heart, maybe, necessarily. Um, and even that said, there still has been always these, these really beautiful expressions that are embedded, really, from a deeper kind of transcendent call but there's a way that the, that this just becomes a battle with the self and then the self's kind of expressivism I also think too that there's a sense of and I'll use the word evangelism I don't mean it to have any of the connotations that we often think of that but a lot of Christian culture or Christian subculture exists to evangelize. And I think it's all wrapped up in that American notion of evangelism. So you have your Christian, you know, Netflix alternative and you have your Christian music alternatives. And so to me, when I think about those, those works of art, air quotes, aren't necessarily made like regular art to elicit an emotional response out of someone or communicate beauty and truth in the world. It's to get you to opt in to this idea of Jesus and and the church and Christianity and, and getting all that. Um, but uh, I, I think there's something, too, that where you feel sometimes when you encounter some of that stuff, you almost feel like you're getting a sales pitch to why you should be Christian or why you should go to church, rather than just saying, here's this song I wrote that expresses the truth about myself and how I experience the world, you take it or leave it, which the best songs, in my opinion, do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I think that, yeah, that fits within a particularly kind of late modern imagination, you know, like this sense, first of all, that maybe, I mean, it all is embedded in certain popular, popular forms of art too. So, you know, certain popular cultural forms, which feel like they are the kind of stream that 
um, builds the culture, that that frames the culture. And so if you want to be able to influence the culture in a certain direction, even in kind of pseudo-political perspectives, but just even in um, kind of more perspectives of values and things like that, then you have to somehow feel like you have to take over pop culture or at least reject the larger forms of that. You know, so it, it does have a little bit of a sense of the culture war to it. Um, but what that's all embedded in, which is more deeply theological and I think very interesting for, for pastors and ministers to think about, is one of the reasons that can happen or one of the, yeah, I mean, I guess one of the reasons that we become really, I don't know, live off after the kind of traumatizing of the boundaries between what's Christian culture and what's not, or, you know, just simply, uh, refuse that is that has a huge, a huge kind of theological link up with the sense that ultimately Jesus and the, the workings of the spirit, or let's just kind of stick with a Christological moment, like that Jesus is more of a model, um, than a sacrament. And if Jesus' life is really more sacramental, then then these artistic expressions don't need to somehow be objectified in in this kind of culture war perspective. That there can be this experience of just being pulled into beauty has this kind of sacramental quality to it. To be to be um, kind of shifted to see reality in a different way has deep significance to it. But if it just becomes kind of like a kind of certain form where there's no kind of spiritual sacramental dynamic to it, then, I mean, in a, in a really weird way, beauty has no say. And I, I guess in the depth of the Christian tradition, there's always been this kind of linking up of truth and beauty. And I think, you know, this is an overstated, uh, simplistic way of looking at it, but the East and West in, in the church has emphasized one over the other often. Um, like the West has been more about truth and beauty's never been lost, but it's not been the kind of lead where in the Eastern church, um, it's more been beauty and not that truth has been lost in many ways, but the only way into truth is, is through beauty. And I think, uh, the kind of American Protestantism that we've had coming from certain forms of Puritanism and, and others, ha, and other influences, has really been more a kind of truth-based, especially like the 20th century, like after, you know, after the, the fundamentalist movement and things like that. It's been more and more, far more concerned with, with truth than it has been with beauty, and in many ways hasn't really cared about beauty at all, and has been in, in some ways quite frightened by it, and not... And not ironically, those those traditions that have kind of set the terms for that have been pretty low sacramental traditions, you know. So um, it's kind of fascinating to think about it that way. So would you say that you found that sense of truth and beauty to bring it all back in the series The Chosen, where it doesn't get into that schlocky, cheesy... <laughs> Uh, you know, kind of arm wrestling you into going to church on Sunday and making you feel bad that you haven't been there since Christmas. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, we probably need another full episode to talk about the chosen because I'm I'm late to the game because I refused. Like I had people telling me like you got to watch this, and then one of the interesting things about it is season one and two are now on um, Netflix, but they weren't at the beginning. Like they couldn't get any streaming service to take this up. 
um, as, as I understand it, people may have, have, have better information than I do. So they had to create their like own app to be able to, to put this on. And so you had to get the app to like watch this. And, uh, you know, there's a local sports uh, talk show here that I know, Derek, you listen to that I listen to as well, especially if you're a Vikings fan. He's, he's a Vikings announcer. And he was like pushing it. And he's a he's a pretty like, you know. I don't know, like, uh, I don't know what you would say, like just a, a, a very conservative Protestant. Let's just, let's just say that. And, uh, and he was really pushing it. And I was like, no way. And bleep, am I watching this? Like, this seems as cheesy and as stupid as ever. And then I had people telling me like, you got to watch this. You got to watch this. And, and then some people I respected and that, that felt like utter cognitive dissonance. And then, uh, I just watched it on a, on a lark really. And it was incredibly moved by it. And it's, it is really beautiful. And I, I mean, this seems like crazy to say, but it feels a little bit like kind of a miracle that, cause the guy who doesn't, again, I don't know a ton about him, but he's like, you know, like this, he seems like this kind of evangelical bro dude. And yet this thing, like very much like they don't, they don't disconnect Jesus from his deep Jewish heritage and it seems like most of the episodes are are well researched. I'm sure some New Testament scholars would be going crazy about certain things and there are moments where it's a little cheesy but it's also really beautiful and particularly what's beautiful is what they do with the texts. Um, it's, it's really quite fascinating and beautiful and really it's about, which I think is really well done and fascinating, it's really about the disciples even more than it's about Jesus and that's really fascinating and it does seem to me to fit within the larger kind of challenges of this kind of secular age that we try to really reflect on in this podcast, which is, are we living in a time where the direct call of Jesus Christ to follow cannot be heard or we've outgrown it or we we're just too distracted to hear it. And, um, and I don't know, there's just something really incredibly profound about these 12, really 13, because Mary Magdalene plays such an important piece in this that Jesus calls and uh, the role they play, and yet their chosenness is not, it's really from below in many ways. Like they are, they are very much not the ones who are going to, you know, um, they're not the they're not the pop stars that are going to win people over. Um, but it's really profound. And it, it does just, you know, it, it echoes to me Bonhoeffer's discipleship, you know, where he, he really makes this assertion that Jesus Christ calls us in the same immediacy to follow. And I think that the show does a really good job of, of, uh, of kind of landing that in our lap. And then there's this, if you, so I watched the first two, two seasons on Amazon prime. And then the third season, we got so hooked on it. And there's still two more episodes left that we have to watch, but um, that haven't released yet. But episode three, you got to go back to the app. And so, of course, I downloaded the app on my Apple TV and have been have been watching it. But what's you know, what's it's really interesting how they're funding this thing, too. Right. So um, they're they're just it's it's essentially crowdfunded to do this so after each episode they first of all tell you as the episode begins that there's someone who's paid it forward that paid some money so you could watch this for free and at the end then you get like a testimony that someone did on their phone who who you know like threw 10 bucks in and uh if that little that little recorded testimony feels both a little manipulative and incredibly beautiful like these people talking about how the episode impacted them or they felt reached for or they felt connected. Um, I don't know. There, there's 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 something to it. I mean, there's there's pieces to really 
quibble about too. Like there's certain ways like the the mega church pastor life comes back up. You know, like like Peter doesn't keep his boundaries very well and it's led to tensions with his marriage. You know, like there's a few like kind of cheesy things like that, you know? But then there's this other just like the two episodes in season three on uh, the stories of Jesus healing the woman who's been bleeding and then him going to Jarius's house and, uh, and, and raising his, his, his daughter are just utterly beautiful and put in this, in this deep kind of exegetical sense of the laws of, of what it means to be pure and clean and in Jesus this woman touching Jesus and what that meant. And then of course, uh, to him, him essentially breaking the law and touching a dead corpse, which he wasn't supposed was supposed to do in, in Jewish law. And I don't know, it, it, I think it, it, it avoids a lot of the tropes, but it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting. And I guess, you know, a big question for those of us who are kind of moderate to, um, well, those of us who have refused kind of for aesthetic reasons, for political reasons, for just Freudian reasons. Have, you can just say it. Those of us who are snobs and are okay with Well, that. yeah, or who have just yeah. denied conservative Protestantism, right? Like for all sorts of legitimate and, you know, like aesthetic reasons and snobby reasons as well as like just bad crap that happened. We – it is – I think there – I think there's a certain kind of – I don't want to say litmus test, but there's there's an interesting social experiment here, uh, maybe even a spiritual experience for you on like uh, on the listener. Like, can you stomach this? Can you can you because it does have this kind of transcending kind of sense of where it clearly reaches into like very conservative Protestant communities. But I do think there's something here for others as well. And um are we open to that or are we not? Or is there any point of like agreement? And if, if you take, if you take the episode simply as interpretations of these texts, um, it's fascinating. And if you even take them as kind of like 55 to 110 minute, like sermons, essentially like film sermons, um, they're, they're well done. They're really interesting. They're worth they're worth reflecting on. And yeah, like like you said, maybe I mean I started as a major snob that like when someone said you got to watch this, I was like, no way, man. Like I have so it's much. It's on this app called Vid Angel. Yeah, yes. I just looked it up. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's yeah, like it's it's yeah, it's like loaves and fishes productions and things like that. And you're like, oh, I remember all this crap. Like you know. Who's playing Jesus, Kirk Cameron? You know, like you're, you're. It, it seems like it's going to be awful, but there's something, there's something pretty profound here. So I guess you know, it takes us all the way back to kind of thinking about art, and uh, there is a, there is a kind of sense I think for us late modern people that art does become a kind of a snobby exclusionary thing, or only the truly um, enlightened or initiated really can get, and. Uh, here is a potential i mean at least at least it you know wiggles its its foot over the line of being kind of well done and uh is about the gospel stories is about these texts and um i just know for me like this is a confession of my own hubris is like um no way i don't i don't trust it i don't have time for that i i there's got to be some hbo max show i can watch instead
When Church Stops Working, featuring Dr. Andrew Root. It's a podcast produced by me, Derek Tronsgaard. And a special thanks to our sponsor, Baker Publishing. You can grab Andy's brand new book, The Church After Innovation, which is out now on Amazon or wherever else you get your books, and look for his other titles as well. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time for another round of When Church Stops Working.